If you uh, have your Bibles, if you would please turn into John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. I'm going to read a very familiar passage, but I hope that during our time with the Holy Spirit and this passage of Scripture, we maybe draw from it some new things that God has for us this morning. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I'd like to read, if you will let me, and if you stop me, that'll look funny. Uh, Read to verse 21. Now there was a man of of the Philistines named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God and for no one can perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, you cannot tell where it's come from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are a teacher of Israel, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe when I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly for what he has done has been done through God. Well, you guys have heard that scripture. Oodles and oodles and oodles of times. So what difference does this scripture make to how we go into our workplaces on Monday morning? God loves us, right? God loves all of us, right? 
And we have to admit that the love of God is far-reaching, far beyond what we ever can consider, you know, from where we're at here and now. And God loves everyone, the whole world. We can't deny that a bit. So what about this Christian experience sets us aside from the rest of the world? It's interesting that this passage we grab a hold of, John 3.16, and declare that God so loved the world. Yet we know that in the midst of that, there's a decision to be made by each and every one of us. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Because even though God loves the entire world, and we bring the Christ event before the whole world, and enough blood was shed on the cross to redeem the whole world. There's a key piece in here that we could easily gloss over. And that's the decision that must be made by each and every individual as to whether or not they receive what God has already given them through His love. You see, we can go back all the way to Genesis and see that God has tried and tried and tried to intervene into human history to create a people that He'd call His own who not only would feel His love and enjoy His love in their life, but they would also present His love to others. You know, we're, I, I don't know whether you guys are this way, but I, I sort of notice that we tend as human beings to be consumers. We like to have it all, bring it in, you know. I, I don't know about your closets, but you can usually tell whether you're a consumer by your closet. Is it full? Yeah, mine, mine's full. Or is it empty? My, my closet is full enough that now that the kids have left home, <laughs> I borrowed theirs. When they come home, there's not much room in their closet. Our things have sort of taken over where their things were. And praise the Lord, they took them home with them. And that's sort of the way we live. But what comes out in this passage is that Jesus came to the earth and His ministry was for much more than that. I think it's odd that John puts this passage in chapter 3 because it's right at the beginning. And in this passage, it sends us all the way to the end of the book, chapter 21, to the cross. It's all here in this passage. In addition, he's with this man Nicodemus who comes to him from the ruling council, the very council that would send him to the cross. Yet this one man would take his body down with Joseph of Arimathea, would take Jesus' lifeless body off the cross and put him in the tomb. Nicodemus. So you, can you get in the mind of Nicodemus for a moment? Here he's part of the ruling council, trying to lead a nation under God, reflecting God's principles in a time where they're being oppressed by the Romans. And he comes to Jesus. Notice he doesn't do it 
high noon. Doesn't do it for the main meal of the day. He comes to him at night. And he comes to him saying, you know, we can tell you are from God because of the miracles you're doing. Now, if you limit yourself to John's gospel, how many miracles has he done when you get to chapter 3, verse 2? One. Turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Yet, for some reason or another, Nicodemus is convinced that this man, this Jesus, is from God. He did clear the temple. I doubt if Nicodemus thought that was a miracle. In fact, you could also make a case that maybe Nicodemus was coming saying, oh, I can tell you're from God, but please don't tear up our temple anymore. You know, he's coming to chastise Jesus, but we don't see it in this text. Maybe that was part of the reason he came. Let's meet this Jesus. I know he's from God. He just tore up the temple. Now what's going on? And Joseph says, you know, I, I can tell you're from God because of what you're doing. And then Jesus doesn't say, well, thank you. Does he? No. He goes right into this text. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. <laughs> what a comeback. You know, Jesus, I think, as we read the New Testament, often brings reality to the fact that his tenure among humans would be three years. And so he cuts to the chase. And he cuts to chase, I think, with Nicodemus because he knows Nicodemus is an important man. He's a teacher. This guy should get it. If anybody should get it, Nicodemus should get it. He says, hey, I tell you the truth. Dude, you're into truth, right? You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. We need to make a little nudge on this, this, uh, this word again. And I think uh, my NIV has again. But if, when you look at the word in the Greek, it's, it's a nothing, which I think, according to Strong's Concordance, a better translation would be born from above. A heavenly birth, if you will. Jesus goes on, you know, Nicodemus puts in that sort of crass illustration, I can't go back to mom, praise the Lord, and it, it, you know, your mind just goes to places it probably hadn't, had never should go. And so Jesus has to bring him back. I tell you the truth, in verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit to spirit. You, singular, should not be surprised when Jesus says, and from here on, through the rest of the passage, you is plural. The you in this passage is plural. Which means, folks, the text is not just for Nicodemus at that point, but it's for everybody who's hearing. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound. You can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How do we get a handle on this, this being born again 
Water we understand, right? It's the thing we haven't had much of in the last, uh, what, six, eight months in, in central Midwest. We could use rain. Can you, you guys could use rain, right? I, I, we're ready for rain back in Iowa, too. But we understand wind. Or do we? I mean, we, we can see the results of its movement. But we can't figure out where it's coming from or where it's going. We had the privilege of watching tornadoes here about three or four weeks ago. And uh, I, I, yeah. Oh, how's that a privilege? Yeah, well, I have lots of cameras. You're right, he's got it. So I'm facilities director at Hillcrest Academy. And I had the privilege of being in the basement of my house at home with access to the cameras at school. And as the tornado, actually it was uh, about three or four tornadoes that were in sort of a vortex together, waltzed from down south of Kyoto all the way up past Wellman, and I got to see it come towards the school. Now you probably don't have quite the sense of that I did at the time, but I realized if that hits the school, do you know how much work I'm gonna have what a mess we're going to have to deal with. And so I prayed really quick, and I asked my wife, pray too, pray that it doesn't hit the school. And so we watched those vortexes, and I saw one go west of the school, and I said, praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, the wall cloud was gone, and I didn't think any more about it. And I, of course, had to go out to school to verify what happened, and what happened was, on the other side, I saw the vortex go around this side. On the other side, the folks just east of the school lost their house, the roof off their house and part of their buildings to that tornado. So what I saw go this way, there was actually one go this way, but we had no damage to the school except the chicken coop. We can't tell. We can't tell that the wind's going to go this way or that way. And so it is with the Spirit. The Spirit of Almighty God, the Holy Spirit. We cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going, but we can see evidence of its work in our midst. And this is where Jesus is undergirding. If we're going to see the kingdom of God, we need to be baptized by water and by the Spirit. We can get a hold of water. And we can have baptism. Do you have a baptistry? You don't? There is. Ooh. You guys are uptown. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and you... You feel those dramatic moments in people's lives. I mean, I remember my baptism as a Christian, and I can still go to that exact spot in the church, even though it's been turned into a fellowship hall. I can go to the exact spot in the sanctuary where E.J. Miller poured the water. I think he used extra on me or something. But I can still remember the feeling of E.J. putting that water over my head and that feeling of the Holy Spirit coming into my life. And just... Ah, change things. 
It's one of those Ebenezer's in my life that I can go back to in times of trouble and tribulation and trial and say, yes, yes, I know what it feels like. I can go to the time when the Holy Spirit led me to become a pastor. And what happened that day and the months thereafter. And I, yes! And so when Ellen brought that song, uh, The Goodness of God, I get to that chorus and I just almost bawl. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. And I am grateful to be an old codger. Because when I sing those words, I can go through all the things that God has done with me and for me and how He's walked with me through those really ugly times. I pray for every youngster, specifically high schoolers, that haven't had that experience yet. And I pray that they get that experience. We need to be born of water and of the Spirit. But it's so hard to measure that Holy Spirit baptism by that rebirth from above. What I want to nudge us towards is, while John 3.16 is important, we need to put it into the context of the verses that come before it and the verses that come after if you look at the verses that come before it, Jesus goes back to Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. He says in this passage, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. You say, what? Snake lifted up in the desert? Anybody remember that story? What that was all about? Well, if you remember, in that time, while they were 40 years in the wilderness, for some reason, they grumbled. Can you imagine God's people grumbling? I mean, they got manna every morning and quail, maybe three times, whatever, times a week. They were taken care of by Almighty God, and they still grumbled. And finally, the grumbling got to such an extent that God sent snakes. And those who were bitten by the snakes got sick. And many of them died. So they grumbled about that. Can't imagine that. And so God says, make a snake, a snake and put it on a stick. And everyone who looks upon the snake will be healed. And what's interesting about that passage is, and it's hard to imagine, there were people who would not look at the snake. I don't understand. If we had cancer and we're dying of cancer and all we had to do was look at a snake, wouldn't we do it? And if we could see that everybody who did look at the snake 
was healed. Wouldn't we do it? Can we imagine a human heart so hard against God that they wouldn't even lift their eyes to the cure? Brothers and sisters, we live in a time such as this. We live in a time where people who understand, maybe even grew up in Christian homes, maybe grew up with the Bible right in front, maybe even went to Bible memory camp, and they will intentionally avoid the cross. And then God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That comes right on the tails of this story, this allusion to that cross that would come in John chapter 20. Jesus has just made a bridge from the beginning of His work to the end of His work with a man of influence, Nicodemus. What's interesting is, while we often have verse 16 committed to memory, not very many of us have 17. For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. It's easy for us to think, well, you know, this is all good. God so loved the world. God's heartfelt intention was not that anybody would be condemned. God's heartfelt intention was to love them so much and give us such an opportunity to accept that love that we make it a part of our lives and make it contagious. Anybody experience COVID in this community? I mean, did... Did COVID go through here at all? Did it? Okay, yeah. Did you notice how highly contagious it could be? Sometimes it wasn't, but it was highly contagious. Brothers and sisters who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would wish that your heartfelt faith, the goodness of God that you know, would become so contagious that those of your family who don't believe would look at your life and say, oh, I think I'm, I, I, I need that. I, I think that could be contagious. I, I think I want that. And yes, there'll be some that say, well, I don't understand it at all, but it looks pretty good. And there'll be that one person who says, you just stay on that side of the room, I'm staying on this side of the room. That's the next point. Notice as it goes to verse 19. This is the verdict. 
This is from Jesus. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. All my life he has been faithful. All my life he has been so, so good. So we have the choice. We can either embrace the cross or live as if it's something that, well, we hang it around our neck and, you know, it influences part of our life. But it doesn't influence the whole. And my nudge is for us to live for the cross daily. Live in light of the cross daily. Because we who have adopted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior accept that sacrifice that's been made through Him for us. It changes things. I had the privilege of staying at Luke and, and Ellis's, uh, Ellen's, Lucas and Ellen's. I'll get the right end on the right, yeah. Yeah, know what I mean, not what I say, okay? And, and uh, they had me go downstairs to the bedroom downstairs, and Luke gave me a informational piece of uh, knowledge, a piece of information I needed. He said, be aware of your surroundings before you turn the light off. <laughs> I don't know whether you guys don't believe in night lights or what the deal is. But uh, it was good counsel, very good counsel. And I turned the light off. And then I turned back and turned it back on again. And then I went over to this other spot and turned that light on and then turned that one off. And brothers and sisters, we as Christians need to live today as though the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is a part of every aspect of our being. Every part of who we are. Because He needs to be. This is a life and death decision to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And to believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Those are the things that we carry from this nice safe space of worship where we raise the name of Jesus high and lift it up to that place outside where we go from here. Be it to our homes, be it to our schools, be it to our workplaces, or out into the community. We need to carry the light of Jesus Christ into a very, very dark world because you don't know who you're going to meet next. Brothers and sisters, you may be rubbing shoulders with an individual whose darkness is so complete, they may go home that very evening and take their own life. I'm amazed by the, one, the, the darkness that is living in the part, hearts of some people these days. And we know Jesus. 
And I pray that everyone here this morning does know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you don't, and you would like to make that kind of commitment, I would like for you to talk to this young man in the front pew, or, or to myself, that's all right. And Ellen, you'd talk to him too. You've got elders here to talk to you as well. In other words, you might be sitting here this morning without that decision have been made. And what I see this scripture saying, I declare to you, you need to make it clear. Are you part of the light? Are you not part of the light? Have you been born again? Born from above? Or not? And you say, Don, I, I sort of like the cross. I sort of like this Jesus. I'm sorry, there isn't a gray area in this. You're either committed to who Jesus is and the mission that not only He lived into those three years, but He's called us to live into. You know, He talked to His disciples in Matthew 28, 19 21. says, Go, therefore, and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just His. My prayer then is for East Bend to become a beacon into your surrounding community. And that you won't hold the light only in this church house. But that you'll take the light of Jesus Christ and the good news, the gospel that He gave us with you outside this building into every facet of life and into every life you touch. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.